today on Ag News Daily. And, and for me, it is, you know, how do we creatively get the job done out in Washington, D.C.? Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a Wednesday March 1st podcast here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hall joined alongside Jennifer Holiday as Tanner is out on vacation the rest of this week. Jennifer, it's weird to say we are now in March, but I was thinking about it this morning and I was hoping to myself, perhaps we are done with the snow for the season as we enter into the month of March. One can only hope, right? That's definitely at the top of my wish list is no more snow. And, and really, we haven't had a terribly bad winter uh, compared to other parts of the country. So I'm counting my blessings right now, but thinking mm, that seems too lucky to get by unscathed for the winter. Yes, I agree. Definitely ready to look forward. And although I'm not ready for spring showers when I'm walking to class, I would rather have the spring showers than the snow and ice all over the sidewalks. I would as well. But I tell you what, the other thing that's momentous about today, April, uh, March 1st, is we officially have spring crop insurance prices set for the season. And as of yesterday, February 28th, of course, the spring crop insurance is an average of the February futures prices, new crop futures prices, I should say. And the spring reference prices set for crop insurance were $5.91 for corn. per soybeans and $8.87 per bushel of spring wheat. This, as far as comparisons for previous years, is still fairly high, given that last year's spring reference price for corn was $5.90. Soybeans, however, are a dollar lower compared to last year when we saw the record setting 14.33 and this year's spring wheat price also trails last year's when we were at $9.19 compared to this year's $8.87 so all in all corn stayed pretty much the same compared to 2022 crop insurance prices and soybeans and wheat came down pretty significantly but still fairly high crop insurance prices as we consider years prior Jennifer so that is spring crop insurance prices, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how producers adjust decisions now based accordingly on these spring crop insurance prices. Definitely. And going off of that, another thing that has risen is the Mississippi River. The shipping crisis on the Mississippi River might finally be ending. Since last July, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been dredging the river 24 hours a day, seven days a week to ease shipping backups. With improved snowpack in areas such as Montana and precipitation through the midsection of the country late last fall and this winter, the Mississippi River and its tributaries would be back to normal by this spring. For instance, on February 13th, the river gauge reading in Memphis, Tennessee, was at 10.3. Last October, the river level was nearly at negative 11. While this trend is in the right direction, Steenhoke says it's time to take for barge and river traffic to resume. It takes time for barge and river traffic to resume normal levels. This impact will this will impact the southern movement of grain for export channels, he adds, and inputs and other products being moved for the north for the 2023 growing season. So everything is looking pretty bright from here for the Mississippi River so far, Delaney. 
Yeah, that is certainly good news as we start to see the river reopen with the allure of spring ahead of us. Uh, So yes, good news there, it sounds like all in all. We also got a perspective here from Mexico regarding the ban on GMO corn. They said the stakes are high for farmers on both sides, including their borders as well. And while Mexican government officials believe their country can work to become more self-sufficient in replacing U.S. yellow corn with their own locally grown corn, their ag community is less confident and warns of the impact of losing access to U.S. feed and U.S. technology. Mexico in the current marketing year was the top buyer of U.S. yellow corn with more than five and a half million metric tons shipped and another outstanding sales of six and a half million metric tons. And so the big question that has been asked around the Mexican ag sector and by farmers is where the corn will be produced if the 18 million metric tons is banned from the U.S. Mexico is currently not self-sufficient and many Mexico farmers, as well as Mexican agricultural officials, are urging the Mexican government to think about this with a little more clarity because there is no way physically possible right now. Mexico is going to be able to fill the gap and replace the corn that would be potentially banned from the GMO ban that Mexico has uh, wanted to issue. So it sounds like there are lots of people for uh, postponing the ban indefinitely, U.S. and Mexico side, and really hard to see here what's going on behind closed doors as to who is really behind uh, the ban on GMO corn and who is um, maybe profiting or what the behind closed doors um, idea is behind why this is happening. Starting to get a little bit more of that. But like I said, there are a lot of Mexican officials on the ag side are not in favor of the ban. So it's a good question as to who's actually spearheading this thing. Absolutely. And Delaney, you actually just set me up perfect for my next story as Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says having an open dialogue with trading partners is key in building a successful relationship. Vilsack told attendees of the USDA's recent Ag Outlook Forum that communication helps all sides navigate difficult to maneuver situations. We may not make progress in a particular conversation, but it stimulates thought, he says. It stimulates the idea of how could we do this or How could we get around the difficulties of this particular issue? He says trade is a perfect example. How do we explain our producers at home that by opening up a market to a competitor's product, that somehow, some way, that's actually going to be a benefit to them, he says. That's not an easy argument to make to farmers. During their panel discussion, Secretary Vilsack and the European Union Ag Commissioner, John Yez, Both shared a similar issue they've had when discussing trade with farmers. We both have had experiences recently where farmers have gotten up and said, in essence to us, stop the imports, he says, but please let us export. It doesn't work that way. So that's the challenge. The UE representative told employees that it is also a proponent of open trade because it is crucial to food security for their nations, Delaney. 
Yeah, that's an interesting take there. I had not seen that update, but glad you are on top of it, Jennifer. Absolutely. And what do you have left for stories this morning? Well, we've seen lawmakers pushing the EPA to emergency action to allow year-round E15. Lawmakers are very frequently um, vocal on this topic, but we have seen lots of letters on the topic sent to the EPA, and they expect an announcement to be made shortly. In this case, the letters call on the EPA to repeat their emergency action from 2022 to allow year-round sales of E15 fuel, arguing the action will decrease U.S. reliance on foreign energy, lower fuel prices, and provide climate benefits. The letter has been, or campaign, I should say, has been spearheaded by Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois and John Thune of South Dakota. This comes as the EPA is poised to announce its proposed rule on whether to grant a waiver requested by eight states of the Reed Vapor Pressure Rules, or RVP rules, which prevent year-round sales of E15. So we are hoping to see some news come out about that here very shortly, Jennifer. Yes, and I have one last story this morning, not entirely a great note to end on, but at least 36 people were killed in Greece this morning when a passenger train and a cargo train collided head on, throwing entire carriages off the tracks in the country's deadliest rail crash in living memory. Dozens more were injured in the crash and the fire that followed. Officials said the death toll was expected to rise further. A station master was arrested as investigators tried to understand why the two tracks had been on the same route. Rescuers continued to scour through the smoldering, mangled mass of steel in the morning of this crash, and cranes lifted derailed passenger carriages with their windows blown out. One carriage stood on its side at almost 90 degrees from the rest of the wrecked train, with others tilted precariously. The local station master, in charge of signaling, has been arrested and charged with causing mass deaths through negligence and causing grievance bodily harm through negligence, a police officer said. A 59-year-old man was denied any responsibility for the accident, attributing it to a possible technical failure. So we are thinking for the victims in Greece right now, Delaney. Yeah, that's um, a, a bad fire, bad train fire there. And, you know, just one of many that we've been reporting on lately, Jennifer. Absolutely. Well, the last piece of news I have here, aside from chatting markets for today, is some regulatory challenges that ag groups have been laying out in the house. Some farm group members told the House Agriculture Committee earlier this week that the joint resolution to overturn the Biden administration's waters of the U.S. rule needs to happen. The House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee passed a resolution calling for the repeal of WOTUS on a 30 to 22 vote under the Congressional Review Act. The resolution will now go to the House and many ag groups are in support of repealing the WOTUS rule that was passed under the Biden administration, which basically put it back to what had been declared under the Obama administration, was overturned during the Trump administration and then reenacted or reinstated during the Biden administration. 
uh, we'll, like I said, we'll see the resolution now go to the house and there's going to be a big fight here, I think, as to what will happen after this. But of course, American Farm Bureau Federation's Zippy Duvall uh, was very vocal in saying that there's more at play here than just water. He said this is regulation affecting farmers directly. And he also called it the largest land grab of the federal government in history, saying that Really, it's more about controlling land and less about controlling water. Uh, but he also said it's um, going to be really hard to implement and dictate whether or not it's a navigable water or a significant nexus. And there's just too much red tape around this. So at least 24 states have filed lawsuits against the Biden administration's water rule, while agricultural groups, including the American Farm Bureau Federation, have joined to intervene with those state cases. So lots at play here. Hopefully we'll get some good news here for agriculture moving forward. Absolutely. I am hoping so too. So let's take a look at our markets now. Let's do that. And here we are as we head into the opening session, as we head into the opening session here, and we're finally seeing a little bit of a turnaround here in the soybean markets. Nov new crop beans will open four and a half cents higher at 1352. New crop corn down two and a quarter cent to open the day at 567 and a half. In the wheat pits, March hard red, excuse me, May hard red winter wheat as we head into expiration there for delivery for March. May will open unchanged at 812 and three quarters. As we take a look over at the livestock markets today, they are seeing some positive trading action. April live cattle will open 50 cents higher at a buck 65.47. April feeders up 85 cents to open at a dollar 95.07. And May lean hogs, April lean hogs will open 45 cents higher at 85.17. Jennifer, without further ado, let's kick it over to today's interview. Yes, we are talking to Neil Kasky this morning, the new CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. Extremely excited for the interview that we have today. Uh, pleasure to have Neil Kasky, the brand new CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, and looking forward to learning and diving in a little bit more about who he is. Welcome to the podcast, Neil. Hey, thanks, uh, Tanner. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a, a podcast geek myself, so delighted to be able to jump on yours. Uh, and I'm not even, uh, you know, halfway through the first day in my new job. So appreciate the opportunity. This is awesome. We appreciate you taking the time to do this. For our listeners, why don't you tell a little bit about who you are and what you've done up to this role? Yeah, so uh, so I have been, Tanner, at, at NCGA for four and a half years now. So I, I served as Vice President of Communications and uh, Industry Relations during during that period. And so I've had the, the honor and privilege of, of working for uh, America's corn farmers for, for some time. Prior to that, I, I worked... Uh, at an agency where I did a lot of consulting for the United Soybean Board. So very familiar um, with uh, with that side of the farm as well. And, and even before that worked at the American Soybean Association. So um, so have a, a lot of uh, ag in my background and, and I'm excited to be able to 
um, to hopefully uh, leverage all of that in, in my new role. Yeah, it's great that you've got a couple of years of experience within the organization already. So you know what some of the challenges might be that lie ahead for you to tackle. What are you most excited about jumping on board with? Well, so um, so excited just to to be at at National Corn Growers Association. I mean, we've got uh, a a board that is incredibly visionary and just very passionate uh, about the the work that they were elected to do. So it starts there, and we have uh, a, a a lot of support. We are a federation of our states, and so our, our states have a, a reputation for for getting stuff done. You know that they're within their respective capitals, and then uh, banding together to do a lot of good work out in in Washington D.C. together as well. And so all the farmers that uh, that they represent and that we represent collectively. I mean, when when you step back and just kind of look at that, I mean, it, it's hard it's hard not to be uh, excited. Um, you know, from where where I sit. Uh, and when you think about, you know, okay, what do we have? To, what are the jobs that that need to be done right now? Um, and we have we have three um, three big big um, challenges or, or opportunities. I guess if you want to look at it that way in front of us. That uh, you know, one is just making sure uh, that corn can continue to flow into Mexico unimpeded. Obviously, we're, we're dealing with uh, a decree that is uh, um, causing problems for genetically modified corn. Um, and so there's that. That's both urgent and important. We have a farm bill. Uh, this is a farm bill year. And so just making sure that uh, crop insurance is adequately protected through that process is another very high priority of ours. And then um, and then lastly, uh, it's, it's ethanol. And so we want to make sure that we're able to continue to sell higher uh, blends of, of, of that fuel and, and uh, finding ways to, to do that. And so, you know, that is that's where I'm focused. And, and that's kind of where uh, our, our organization is as well. That's great. And for our listeners that maybe know that the Corn Growers Association exists, but maybe don't know exactly how it's funded or put together. Could you give us a little background on that side of it? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, so we we were uh, created back in 1957, and so uh, and uh, uh, as a federation of, of state associations, and so um, so we are um, uh, supported by uh, the our states through their checkoff programs and and uh, other uh, initiatives like Commodity Classic. Obviously, we were just talking about that. Uh, Tanner, before we got started, uh, and membership dues, uh, among other other areas, and so um, so we, we start there. Obviously, our our board is elected uh, among uh, delegates of what we refer to as as Corn Congress, and so the Corn Congress will be meeting next week when we get together in in, in uh, Kamai Classic down in Orlando uh, as well. And we really um, we are a grassroots organization. I think that is a strength of ours, and so. You know everything. You know just from our policy direction and and uh, just uh, our you know financially. You know everything flows from the, the the bottom. You know up. And so I think that that is, in my opinion, uh, you know a hallmark of a, a very healthy and, and successful organization. And so, um, so I think that that is uh, you know um, some other things. It, it, so I think the programs that some growers might be familiar with when they think about NCGA, obviously classic, we just kind of covered that one. And then there's the National Corn Yield Contest. And so that is a, a big one that's, that's uh, going on 
almost 60 years uh, in, in, the, in the marketplace, kind of helping growers figure out new innovative ways to, to grow a crop. And so I think that those are probably some of the different ways aside from just, um, you know, the, the, the policy arena that people might be familiar with with the National Corn Growers Association. Yeah, speaking of commodity classes, like you mentioned before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about it. It sounds like we will both be down there along with a lot of the National Corn Growers Association's representatives and its growers in that area. You talked that registration is up for this year. What is the excitement around going to this year's commodity classes based on? Well, I, I think it's it's just an amazing show. I mean, it starts there. We're the, we're the the biggest, baddest uh, agricultural convention in you know in the land, and so I think people recognize that and, and want to be a part of it. And so, uh, so it, it starts there. Um, and uh, I I think uh, it probably doesn't hurt that we're going to be down in in sunny Orlando uh, in in early March. That probably is a bit of a selling point uh, as well. But our you know our, our programming is unmatched as well. And so this is where, you know, a lot of good growers come to get better. And just you think about the content and the educational opportunities that are available at Kamai Classic. It's, it's uh, I mean, um, it's, it's the reason why, you know, people want to go down and be a part of that. We are, as of Saturday, we are uh, 8,100 registered so far and climbing. And so uh, who knows where we're going where we're gonna to end up, but one thing is for sure, it's going to be a very big show. Um, and if uh, you are seeking uh, knowledge on just new things in agriculture, that is the place to be. Yes, and the forecast looks fantastic for all of the guests that are going to be down there and it's not too late to get tickets this isn't a special promotion for it just like you said a really great event to take on so as you are sitting here first day at this role in the national Congress association's president or ceo level my apologies you've got a full week ahead of you before taking off but overall your tenure your goal for as you sit there and continue to manage this association for years in the future. What's one of your initiatives? Yeah, uh, so it's funny. I I look around my my office right now. It's a new one, and and um, you know, I got to get some stuff on. On my wife says I need to get some stuff on on the walls. So do my girls. Um, but that's probably not as as important as some of the other things. So, and and for me, it is. You know, how do we creatively get the job done out in Washington, D.C.? Obviously, you know, the things have changed out there and and uh, it's always been hard to to get good laws passed. And, and that's certainly the case today as well. It's no different, really. Um, but thinking differently and, and getting creatively and, and how we go about, you know, getting a resolution in Mexico or ensuring that a, a good, strong farm bill is passed and, you know, that we can continue to to deliver a bright future for ethanol. I mean, we've got to be creative in, in how we do that. Um, it's just, uh, um, I think I think that that is what we're going to be focused on moving forward, trying to figure out ways to extend outside of, of the Corn Belt, you know, so that we're very strong there, thanks to uh, our state associations. You know, they have uh, the states, uh, their respective states are in good shape. And so uh, we know that we're going to have to uh, work in, in states outside of the Corn Belt and trying to get creative there too and trying to figure out ways to connect with those legislators and and uh, create some value and, and for them that will allow us to 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 produce the results 
that our board, our states, and, and their growers expect us to produce in, in those key areas, ethanol, farm bill, et cetera. Absolutely, Neil. And our listeners that maybe want to follow along with what you guys have going on, what's the best way for them to look up and do that? Uh, so the, the easiest way to, to stay uh, engaged is, is to, uh, you, you can, um, I mean, we, we need more advocates, Tanner. And so, you know, I, I think about just signing up uh, to, uh, to be notified of, of policy priorities. You can do that on our website at ncga.com. You know, if you want to uh, sign up for a newsletter, um, you can do that as well. But, um, you know, we, we need more advocates. And so if we're going to get things done in Washington, D.C., you know, we're better able to do that with more voices, um, uh, obviously speaking on our behalf. And so the easiest way to do that, you don't have to to join. We want you to join, but we would love for you to participate in our calls to action. You know, when something pops up on Farm Bill or, or ethanol, uh, having folks uh, weigh in in support of our position matters. And so hopefully they'll like the results that we produce and, and participate in uh, our organization in different ways. That could be by joining their state association, participating in Commodity Classic, participating in the corn yield contest, or, or, or just uh, staying active and being a good advocate on behalf of their industry. But I think it all starts there. You know, we just need more voices speaking up on behalf of the corn industry. That's how things will get done. Yeah, I love that approach, Neil. And thank you so much again for taking some time on your first day to hang out with the Ag News Daily Podcast. We do really appreciate that. Yeah, Tanner, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, and I will have to, I'll make a note to swing by. Uh, I know the, the, the booth, I think you said the John Deere booth, you'll be there and, and uh, I'll, I'll come say hi to you guys. But we really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. And hopefully we will stay uh, in touch as we move forward. We look forward to shaking your hand and thank you again. Jennifer, it sounds like a great conversation there with Neil and Tanner. I'm sure he will have a busy commodity classic ahead of him this year. Absolutely. And we are looking forward to hopefully hearing some conversation he has with some people out there. Absolutely. I think Tanner will get us a couple good interviews. So folks, if you're not on the ground at Commodity Classic, you can catch up with the latest updates here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Or if you are around, get a hold of Tanner, find him and see him on the ground in Orlando. Jennifer, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.